Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Today we teach a coworker some manners with nuclear revenge. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, why I didn't forgive my sister's fiancé. At first, I didn't like that I was going to have a baby sister. I had enjoyed all the love and affection my parents could spare for five years, and I didn't want that to change. I didn't want to share my parents with anyone, not even a sister. Hilariously, the five-year-old me felt I could control who gets added to our family or not. Well, you can call me selfish and spoiled, but I loved my life as an only child until the precious little girl was dropped into my arms on a windy Tuesday morning. She was called Carmen. On that day, I felt betrayed by my emotions because I didn't throw her away as I thought I would. Instead, my heart melted completely like cotton candy. I didn't even know I needed a sister until I had one. She filled our home with light, love, and laughter. She wasn't just a girl. She was the perfect addition we never knew we needed. All of that was never meant to change until Carmen met Craig. Craig would go on to bring out a wild venom I never knew existed inside of me. Before we got older and eager to leave home, Carmen and I were what people called the perfect bond. Even though I was pretty much older, we were both almost inseparable. I could conveniently give my parents a huge credit for fostering love and unity between my sister and me. I loved how my mom had lectured and guided me to love, accept, and protect my sister no matter what. I loved my mom a lot. My father called her Lizzie. I used to think that Lizzie was one of those who God ordained to raise cool kids. She was an excellent mother. I remember how I worried so much that I wouldn't be a good sister to Carmen. My mother didn't tell me I would, she simply said, goodness is not what we struggled to show, it's what we allow to show through us. I was 8 but I understood deep things because I grew up with deep folks. Just like my mother said, I allowed the goodness in me to shine through to my sister. I can't forget the picture, that particular memory of our childhood days ignites in my heart. It was winter and I was startled by the thick layer of snow that covered both the driveway and sidewalks of our home. Carmen was four, and I was nine. Apparently she was startled, but equally fascinated at the sight of such a gigantic figure outside our home. Covered in innocent ecstasy, she took to her heels and dashed into the scary ice that could melt a mountain. I was startled. Despite my deep allergy to colds, I didn't think twice before I dashed right after Carmen. I knew I could get hospitalized, but I cared less. I just wanted to get my sister out of harm's way. We had no winter jackets or winter boots, rather we were like bare fishes on a block of ice. Neither of us had hoped to be right inside the snow 10 minutes before we stepped out. A few minutes into what seemed like forever, the unexpected happened. Carmen's tiny toes and legs were stuck in a block of snow and in an instant she was frozen. Her chirping laughter and her energy began to sink in a jiffy. Apparently she realized that what she was experiencing was far more than a joke. 
All the while, I was still trying to catch up with Carmen, and when I finally did, I was astonished by the level of cold that oozed out of her once warm body. She was shivering and was turning white at the same time. I struggled with her stuck legs and her extremely cold body. She was quiet, apparently in great shock, but I was frightened. I called for my mother amid the confusion, and by that time, I was already shivering too. By the time I was able to release her stuck legs, I was shivering badly and she was unusually still. For the first time, I realized that neither my mom nor dad would always be around to save my sister and me. It took me 20 minutes to realize that my parents had sprung to swift action when they realized our situation. Carmen and I lay on my king-sized bed carefully tucked in heavy blankets, even though the heater was on. My mother was frantic as she paced back and forth in the room, and my dad simply gazed at the two little girls he had sacrificed so much for. My dad was fondly called Noah by his friends. He was a good man in every sense. And if I felt every man should treat me humanely and like a lady, it was because of how my father treated all the women in his life. He was love and love was him. My father had led us into so many adventures in his life. He was spontaneous and at the same time gingerly. I loved everything about him, especially his gusto. But what I didn't understand was how he managed to combine simplicity with discipline. He was simple but also a disciplinarian. He had a vision for our family and he knew how to strike a balance while he builds that vision. On the day Carmen and I had the snow experience, he didn't spare the chance to tell us to steer clear of any act that could put us in harm's way. That day, I equally renewed my resolve to protect Carmen, always and always. And then, in a blink of an eye, Carmen and I were no longer walking through the snow unprotected. We were young adults making real life decisions. Trust me, I tried my best to be a good big sister that Carmen could emulate, and just like my mother did to me, I tried to not choke her with my protective instincts. I knew early on that I can't control everything in life, and the fact that I couldn't control who Carmen dated was a feeling that was going to haunt me for a long time. Craig is his name, and I'm sure I've met the love of my life, Michelle. Those were my sister's words to me. I hadn't met Craig, so I formed no opinion about him. But it was pretty obvious that Carmen was obsessed. Both of us had agreed to bring Craig to our parents during the holidays, and I gladly looked forward to the rays of sunshine that would radiate in our home on that day. That was Carmen's first serious relationship, and I loved the glint in her eyes when she raved about him in our room at college. To be honest, I wasn't keen on having a romantic relationship myself, but I tried not to dissuade my sister from finding happiness with Craig. Earlier that year, I was in a relationship with a boy called Samuel. He was Sam for short. Gosh, talk about the devil and you talk about Sam. I don't know why it took me a while to realize that he was a thorn in my side. The memory of him nauseates me and makes me very anxious. The first time I knew what it meant to gaslight, it was because I was with Sam. He never owns up to his wrongs, rather he looks for a way to evade them. Once, I told him I wasn't comfortable with the relationship he had with a girl named Tessa. Tessa was almost always with him when I was not. Even though I expected him to adjust, all he could say was, You mean I should be a loner because I'm with you, Michelle? I watched tears trickle down my puffy cheeks and all I could think about was how my dad treated all the women in his life, including me. Right there, I knew. I would be letting my dad down by settling for Sam. Then there was Carmen who raved lavishly about Craig. Under my breath, 
I prayed earnestly that my baby Carmen was in the right hands. As much as I tried to feel right about Craig, I never did. I tried to write off my own feelings, but I knew I wasn't comfortable with his large eyes, stout body, and sharp-witted personality. Something about him triggered me. But then, Craig wasn't about me. When we had dinner in our family home in Plymouth, the table was round and perfect. My mother was particularly keen on being a good host, always. She had carefully prepared grilled Cajun spiced chicken breasts loaded with avocados, cheese, and spinach. The aroma was nothing compared to the taste that melted in our throats. It was heavenly. Craig smiled from ear to ear as he generously complimented my mother's cooking. Well, not that Carmen and I were surprised at what my mother was capable of pulling off in the kitchen. We were always treated to amazing recipes since we knew what food was. After the meal, my parents had a chit-chat with Craig, and it was shocking to hear that he wants to marry Carmen as soon as possible. We were astonished at their plans. We hoped that Carmen would finish college before slipping into a man's arms forever. Although Carmen was excited, I wasn't comfortable with the plans. When she made it known that she was moving in with Craig, I was further taken aback. I couldn't grasp what was happening, and I knew that Carmen was no longer the baby girl I fell in love with. It was hard to believe they had such plans together. I was hurt, and much more than that, I was very uncomfortable. I had to own up to my parents about my feelings. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the adrenaline that love can ignite. It's mushy feelings, the desire, the rush of emotions and what have you. I wasn't even naive about all these feelings. All I wanted Carmen to do was to get to know Craig more. The day Carmen moved out of our college apartment, I was quick to tell her how unnecessary the whole move was. I didn't support the marriage either. I had to spill it out just the way I felt. Just give it time, Carmen, give it time. Carmen told me she understood how I felt at that time. She told me no one's going to come between us. She assured me that she was always going to be my little sister. She was only taken, an adult decision, and not a life sentence. I cried. I cried because I knew there was nothing my parents and I could do to stop Carmen. As she grew older, she had a right to pursue her happiness, and we can't always protect her the way we love to. Just like I expected, I saw less of Carmen since she moved in with Craig. Although we were in the same college, we seldom bumped into each other. It looked unreasonable, but I felt Carmen avoided me. I invited her over for dinner just so we could catch up with Craig, but I got dozens of excuses not to come. At that point, my parents were equally worried. They mandated me to find their last daughter and be sure she was fine. Then, the unexpected happened. I shivered as I taxied my way down to the hospital where my sister was admitted. I was the only one in the dark about how Craig had repeatedly hurt Carmen since she moved in with him. Then, the last one he did, Carmen was sent into a coma. I didn't know what to tell my parents. When I got to the hospital, I almost drowned in my tears. I couldn't believe the girl we'd protected all our lives was thrown into a vegetative state by a man. In that instance, I knew I wouldn't stop until Craig pays for all the things he did to Carmen. First, I needed to save my sister. I prayed fervently by her bedside. By that time, my parents were notified about the very drama we all feared in the past. It wasn't easy, but I was able to calm their nerves. After two days, Carmen came around and I couldn't be happier. I was finally able to breathe an air of relief. She was all teary and remorseful. She apologized for letting our family down. 
At that point, all I wanted to do was thoroughly deal with Craig, even though he already got arrested by the police. While he claimed it was an accident, I knew most of Carmen's friends couldn't have lied about how violent he was with Carmen. Even though he was all remorseful and apologetic, I cared less. He could have used that energy to protect my sister instead of bashing her. If only Craig knew that our family is a closely knitted one, he wouldn't have messed with Carmen. As usual, he thought he would get away with a despicable act as such. Each time I remember when Carmen was in a coma, I got into a state of frenzy. Craig was athletic and agile. He was popular on the basketball court as much as he was popular in the classroom. Craig was that guy. Looking back now, I didn't know what attracted Carmen to him, his physique or aura, but what I knew was that the very thing which attracted Carmen to Craig was going to be the end of him. I liked the way he garnered fans on the basketball court. Craig was both competitive and fierce. I needed no soothsayer to tell me how important sports were to him. Just when his interest in basketball was about to take a major leap in college, I showed up with an unexpected nemesis. I couldn't risk forgiveness because Craig didn't deserve it. He dumped Carmen after the incident and I'd never seen my sister so broken and clueless. Craig would never forget the morning before a very important basketball trial at the University of South Carolina. I reached out to his coach to show all the brutal evidence of the violence that Craig committed against Carmen. As I watched Tom, Craig's coach, I didn't know what broke him the most. The terrible pictures of different evidence of violence? Or the video of heavy punches that sent Carmen into a state of coma? Tom was not only disappointed but also disgusted by such inhumane behavior. He worried for Craig. I knew he would never be cool with Craig again, but I didn't know that he would oust him from the team. As if that wasn't enough, after much deliberations and meetings between Tom and the college officials, Craig was suspended from the school's basketball team. As I watched my family bond so deeply in love and togetherness during the next summer holidays Carmen and I had in my parents' house in Plymouth, I knew our family would never again be torn apart by any man. I don't even know if this really constitutes nuclear revenge. I think this is just the right thing to do in that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That circumstance as far as ratting him out. It's just sad to see somebody who came from such a loving and supportive foundational household fall victim to somebody this abusive and try to save their face. 
There's definitely zero blame to place upon her being in a situation like that and having a natural reaction to hide it or not mention it, but it really does highlight how somebody can have an amazing support system and still ball up and hide these horrendous things. This next story is teaching my coworker some manners. Working a 9 to 5 is something I never really saw myself doing in my entire life. I'd always liked the idea of working from home because my father did and it made his relationship with our family really strong, as opposed to my friends who had parents that went to work every day besides the weekends but didn't spend enough time without them. My father loved to hang out with my mom, my sister and I. He always took us on these family trips and let us miss school once a month. He was a good father until he lost his job and became really distant from us. The job had started replacing their older staff with young millennials and my father had just reached his 50s. It was a sad time for my family because while I'd just finished high school and was working two jobs in my gap year to make enough money for college, my mom had given birth to twins. My dad let himself wallow in the sadness, but instead of getting up to find another job, he just stayed down. After a year, his personal savings had started to run out, so he decided that it would be a good time to find a job. After a couple of months of job hunting while doing the odd job here and there, my dad got a job in construction. It was already a pretty hands-on job, and he let himself get lost in it completely changing from the affectionate person we knew to someone who couldn't stay home for too long. It made me feel a little guilty, especially seeing as my mother wanted to join the workforce again as well. So I took an extra gap year to be more available in the twins' lives. When I did get into college, I transferred to a community college that was a 30-minute drive from my parents' home and used the rest of my savings to get myself a car. I was more present in my sister's lives in college, but once I graduated, I moved away to LA with my best friend from high school and did freelancing work on Upwork and Fiverr for a year. It was probably the hardest year of my life because getting jobs was hard, and I was pretty new to the freelancing life. My best friend worked in the entertainment industry as a talent manager and she had access to a lot of parties and events. Despite being a massive introvert, I let her talk me into going to all of these parties because I believed that my chances at getting a more stable job would be increased. It definitely worked because I ran into the head of a video game animation company that I'd been a fan of for so many years and we had a drunken and lengthy conversation that led him to give me his card and insist we had a meeting. We did have the meeting, and it was then that I heard that he had been needing a storyboard artist but hadn't seen anyone who specialized in it. To be clear, I majored in fine art and media studies in college, so while I was well versed in a lot of art styles, I wanted to focus more on traditional art. I didn't think I could get the job initially because I wasn't exactly a storyboard artist. Sure, I'd done some storyboarding in the past year, but not enough that I could say I did it professionally. I didn't let my inexperience get the best of me and I freeballed an entire presentation to explain to this hotshot gaming CEO on why I was the best for his brand. It took some convincing and a test project for me to get the job, but I did get it. The best part of it were the benefits, the pay, and the fact that I didn't have to go into work more than three times a week for the first three months. After that, it was reduced to once a week. I'd worked with the company for about seven months and my best friend and I were in the middle of getting a bigger apartment together when the pandemic hit. 
I was thrust into a loop pretty quickly when lockdown restrictions became strict. Because we knew we were going to be stuck at home, my boss decided that we needed to work on churning out new game ideas as the hours passed. As the storyboard artist, I had to do all of the first stages of bringing the game to life, and it was basically a 20-hour job. I was working around the clock like that for a year, only having time to eat and sleep a few hours. While I made more money than I ever had, it messed with my sleep schedule and my overall quality of life. I added a lot of weight, my dark circles became worse, and I consumed so much coffee that I got serious withdrawals when I tried to quit it. By mid-2021, I had gotten enough and needed something healthier. As if by fate or sheer luck, my boss decided that he'd gotten enough of the gaming company and he sold it out. The new owners seemed like a bunch of incels that wanted all of their fantasies brought to life in a video game. They had the money to pay for it, but I decided that I wouldn't be part of such a community. Immediately, my boss announces that he was selling off the company. I started looking for another job. This time, my portfolio was more stacked, and I got a job, also as a storyboard artist with another multifaceted media company. They did everything, and it excited me that I would gain even more experience. Another thing that stood out to me was the fact that I had to go into the office four days a week with paid overtime. Before the pandemic, I was just an introvert, and choosing not to go out was my decision to make. With the pandemic, I had nowhere to go. My best friend went to stay with her family, and I had to get a cat because my anxiety was through the roof. I decided that going back into a social working space and physically having coworkers would help me a lot. The few weeks between when I quit my old job and started the new one, I used to build a routine. I started working out and working on reducing my dependence on coffee and energy drinks, eating actual food and not just pizza bread and just doing things that made me feel healthier. By the time my first day of work rolled around, I was pretty excited. And the last time I remembered being that excited was on my first day of middle school. Upon reaching my workplace, the first thing I noticed was how white the place was. Everyone either had long blonde hair, looked young enough to be in high school, had colored hair, or was an odd combination of all three things. They were all overly happy, spoke to me like they were animatronic, and giggled a lot. Before I go on, I think I should mention that I'm a black American man. I'm pretty dark skinned, 6 foot 2, a little heavier set, and I just started letting my afro grow out. You can imagine how out of place I felt being the darkest person I could see. Now that I think about it, maybe it was just my newfound social anxiety that overthought a lot of the hostile behavior I saw, but I was pretty uncomfortable for a while and didn't warm up to anyone until nearly a whole month of working there. In that month, while I didn't manage to make any friends, I may have made an enemy. How, you may ask? I have no idea. Because of the capacity of work, the company had two storyboard artists, me and a guy that I'll call Brad. He was a typical Brad with rich parents who paid for him to go to art school and unidentified mommy and daddy issues. Before I realized that he was all shades of insane, I wanted to be friends with my fellow storyboard artist. His art style was very different from mine and it was good. While I made good use of my sketches for everything, all of his art was clean, barely any sketching or rough lines. 
I wanted to make my work cleaner, so I attempted to joke about being jealous of his work. The very next day, I got a warning that someone had reported that he felt threatened by me because I was being too aggressive. It didn't take a game of Pictionary for me to know who did it, and while honestly I was upset, I had not been aggressive in any way. The microaggression hurt, but thankfully I was moved up to a different office, and I made friends with three women that looked like high schoolers but were in fact all older than me. We got along pretty well and even became friends outside of the work scene. I made more acquaintances in other departments and soon I settled into a nice little workflow. I had no idea about this at first, but apparently Brad was head over heels with one of the three girls. Let's call her Zia. She was an Egyptian who had grown up in London and the only other black person in our department besides me. Even then, she was still pretty light-skinned. Due to obvious reasons, Zia and I were closer than everyone else, and we called each other work besties. Brad had been in love with Zia from the moment she started working there, which was over a year ago. I had no idea, and neither did Zia. Brad must have thought that I had a thing with the girl he liked, and his aggression towards me reduced. He shared slightly racist, funny memes in the work group chat didn't inform me about a few projects that we were supposed to work on together, and found a new way to attempt to make life a living heck for me. I didn't notice a lot of his attempts because things started to get really rocky financially at home, and I had to take care of my entire family for over three months because the twins fell ill, and it took all of my parents' savings to pay off the medical bills. But once things had cleared up for me, I started noticing things missing in my office. Sometimes it was a document that I'd already printed and needed to send in. Sometimes it was a whole file. I brushed it all off to just being scatterbrained from the difficult couple of months I'd been having. The day my personal sketchbook went missing was the day I clocked that maybe my brain wasn't broken and someone was playing tricks on me. I had no idea who stole my sketchbook until a new game idea was being pitched into boardroom and it was something I had been roughly working on for a different client. I was beyond livid, but I couldn't do or say anything because it was technically wrong of me to accept work from another client. I could see Brad beaming as he was given all the praise for the game idea, and I decided that maybe I needed to teach him a lesson. I first needed proof, so I attached small cameras to record the office after hours. For the first week, there was nothing unusual, but by Wednesday of the second week, Brad returned my sketchbook, attempted to open up my laptop, and when he couldn't, he screamed profanities and racial slurs at my desk. Yes, including the N-word. As if that was not enough damage for the day, he walked over to Zia's desk and pleasured himself all over it wiping himself with a pack of her wipes and throwing them in the trash. I left the tape in for a month so that I could extract a lot of footage. So during that month, I made sure to hang out more with Zia. Of course, she was in on the plan. My best friend had invites and extra tickets to high-end parties and concerts, and Zia and the girls were always my plus ones. Zia and I would take slightly intimate-looking pictures and post them for him to see, and it was fun. Along the line, fiction became reality, and Zia and I kissed and realized that we liked each other. It was around this time that I also removed the tape from the cameras in the office. 
I didn't watch them to the end. I just decided that I would play it all in front of the staff. It was embarrassing to say the least. Brad turned a brighter shade of red by the second, and by the time the video was finished, he resembled a too-ripe tomato. He was asked if he had anything to say for himself, and all he said was that I was dating Zia and it was against the code of conduct. It wasn't, and he got fired immediately. I, on the other hand, got a promotion almost instantly, and Zia asked me to be her boyfriend. Nearly a year later and things are still going pretty well for me, Zia and I have moved in together, while Brad now works with the incels for my last job. Guess he found the perfect job for himself. I mean, to be honest, considering what OP did here, I'm surprised OP didn't get any kind of, like, reprimanding or get in any kind of trouble themselves. I mean, they posted unauthorized cameras in the workplace and recorded it for a month. Like, yeah, they caught some monstrosities going on, but I don't think you walk out of that with a promotion, necessarily. Also, I'm surprised that upon finding out exactly what this guy did, you didn't call it off right away because, like, doesn't Zia have to go back to work and somehow face working at that desk that you know he did, you know what, to, around, on? Definitely a lot going on in this story. But with that being said... That's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.